Welcome to Grace to All. I'm your host, Paul Gray. You've probably used the word grace, sang Amazing Grace, or said grace at a meal. But did you know that God's grace is way better than we can even imagine, and that you and all people already have an abundant supply of God's unlimited amazing grace? Today, we're going to hear the truth about God's amazing grace to all people. So, sit back, relax, and prepare to be inspired and awakened to the amazing treasures that you already possess. This is truth that you can handle. Hey, everybody. Thanks for joining me again. Paul Gray here. Got a new computer to do my tech stuff with, and I'm not exactly sure that everything's coming out all right. So it's that time of year when I'm recording this first week of March, especially in Lawrence, Kansas, where I live, and in many college towns across the United States, March Madness has begun. The journey to the final four, and hopefully the NCAA National Basketball Championship. A year ago this time, our university, the University of Kansas, was ranked number one in the country and picked by many to win it all. Then COVID came and we didn't even get to have the tournament. We didn't get to have March Madness. Well, I'm going to look at some of those six key phrases that I just mentioned to you. Journey, madness, picked, win it all, final four, and championship. And I'm going to discuss them from a spiritual standpoint. First of all, do you know what the odds are to pick a perfect bracket at the beginning of March Madness when there are 68 teams involved? What are the odds? 9.2 quintillion to one. A quintillion is a billion billion. Needless to say, nobody's ever done that. (laughs) All right, next, journey, the journey to the final four. Everybody's on a spiritual journey. Most people know that, but, you know, I guess there's some people who don't. My friend Don Keithley's message this past week at the Digital Cathedral inspired me to look at some different stages on my specific personal journey. Now, my point today in talking about that is not to make this about me. It's to help you see maybe where you are on your journey. Some of you are way further down the road than I am. And man, that's wonderful. Some of us maybe are in a caravan, sort of going together. And one car will pull in front of another and somebody will stop at the rest stop and somebody else, that kind of thing. Some of us uh, maybe are just getting started on our journey. There is no wrong place to be. It's a journey where we are at the right moment. At the moment we're at, it's just the right moment for us. As my friend Gene Fritzel says, we are all right on time. All right, so here's a quick rundown of my journey to date. First of all, from the time I was born, when I was a little kid, my folks took me to church every time the doors were open. And every Sunday, I heard about Jesus, and I heard about my sin and my separation from God and my need for a Savior. I heard about hell a lot and eternal conscious torment. They focused on one verse, Romans 3, 23, almost every week. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I was told, and it finally started to sink in, that you were separated from God because of your sin, and he was going to burn you forever in hell, although he was good, unless you did your part in the transaction. 
Well, at 11 years old in 1958, I was scared enough, <laughs> and I heard that God would help me, and he loved me, and he would help me and demonstrate his love if I did my part in the transaction. So I did what I was told. I asked him to forgive me and save me, and I got water baptized, immersed in a creek at a church camp, because the leaders there said it doesn't count if you're not uh, immersed. Well, when camp was over, I was excited. I went home and my church made me get baptized again because it didn't count to them unless you were baptized in their denomination and in their specific church building. No kidding. I entered the yo-yo stage of Christianity. I was in unless I sinned, then I was out. Till I asked for forgiveness again and then I was in and then I was out again, like a yo-yo, up and down, up and down. I'd have been a great bobblehead. You know, I was in, but if I messed up and I got killed in a car wreck before I asked for forgiveness and there was nothing God could do to help me, I was at the end of my rope like a yo-yo at the very bottom of the string, and there was no way to get back up again. I would just have to be tortured forever in eternal conscious torment. That's the Wesleyan-Arminian tradition of the Christian religion. I prayed during that time. Mostly it was God, please forgive me. Get me out of this mess. Make me saved again. Now, some of you I know, like my wife, missed that whole leg of the journey. That's so wonderful. I am so glad for those of you who didn't have to go through that. But I did. And maybe some of you did. I stayed in the yo-yo stage from 1958 until the mid-80s. Wow. 25 years of trying and striving and worrying and not being sure, no confidence. Then the second leg of my journey, I was empty spiritually in my music and business career, even though I was doing well in those careers, I was empty spiritually. And a friend of mine suggested that I read a modern day version of the Bible, start with the book of John and ask God to speak to me. Well, I was so empty that I did. And God started speaking to me. I was reading in the book of John, chapter 10, verse 27 and 30, where Jesus said, my sheep, and I learned that sheep meant people, my people listen to my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one's able to snatch them out of the father's hand. I and the father are one. Well, basically all I got out of that at the time was that I could hear Jesus' voice and I fell in love with the Bible. And I wanted to learn and I wanted to grow. And I started memorizing scripture in an attempt to gain and maintain favor with God. Because the fear of hell was still very much in my mind and on my mind. God had saved me. And now I was taught by a mentor I had at the time, since God has done so much for you, Paul, now it's time for you to do so much for him. Well, God had saved me. And I was not as empty as I was before. So, I, you know, I started thinking, all right, well, God's pretty good. The next leg, we started going to a holiness church. They call themselves that holiness church. That's where we need to be clean. No smoking, no dancing, no chewing, no, none of those types of things, no gambling. We need to keep ourselves holy so God could use us because he wants to use us, but he can't use an unclean vessel. So not only could he not only use an unclean vessel, we'd also lose our salvation if we sinned and didn't ask for forgiveness and hell was preached every week. I started getting pretty good at the spiritual yo-yo. Matthew 5, 48, I was taught, Jesus said, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. And being perfect means being holy. And that's what we're all about. You got to be holy. We were working for Jesus, 
some of you missed that stage entirely. And I'm so happy for you. I'm so glad for you. I understand now that I needed to go through that, but I'm so glad for those of you who have not had to go through that. Well, here's the fourth leg. In 1988, I came to understand through the spiritual teaching that I got that I couldn't really help God in the secular world. Things were secular and spiritual. I know now they're not, but I thought I, I was taught you, you got to get out of that. You got to come out of the world if you want to help God. So I left the music and the business scene and I became a music and evangelism pastor at a holiness denominational church, a church that believed we were not to have anything to do with pagans, people who weren't in their abomination except to tell those people that they were out and going to hell, but they could get in and maybe go to heaven if they jumped through the hoops that we had jumped through. I got so good at doing yo-yo tricks that I was asked to show off my prowess to other people at the yo-yo church. We met and made friends with wonderful people there who liked us until we started the fifth leg of my journey. In 1989, God started showing me, just speaking to me personally as I was reading the Bible, that once a person was saved, they were always saved. You could never lose your salvation. And that was completely different than what I had been taught in the leg that I was on there. And so God was showing me that rather than not having anything to do with people who weren't saved, we should prioritize them. So in 1991, we left their previous abomination and we started a church, a non-abomination church, a non-denomination church, where we did just that. One of the key verses was Romans 8, 38, where Paul said, I'm convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor struggles nor principalities nor things present or things to come nor powers or height or depth or any other created thing will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That was good news. Now, I still thought hell was real and we'd be tormented forever unless we jumped through the right hoops. But I thought, once you jump through those hoops, you couldn't jump back the other way. Once saved, always said, we were free, well, at least somewhat freer than we were. God was even better than I had thought. And we did a lot of good service-oriented things at that church. There were wonderful people at that church, very talented people at that church. And we were very creative at how we did our Sunday services. We had a lot of fun with that group. We did outreach things called servant evangelism. We started a medical clinic for people that didn't have insurance, didn't have money. It's still going, still serving God. At that time, we quit doing things for God, and we understood that God was now working through us. We welcomed people who were different than us, but we made it clear that hell was real and, you know, they needed to change so they could get saved and stay saved. Just recently, I was able to... Uh, see a sermon that I gave during that time in uh, 2001. It, there was no grace in it, and it was all about hell. And that was at a funeral. <laughs> My goodness. We were still very much into transactional salvation. Jesus did his part. Now we had to do our part. And of course, we told them how. Otherwise, there's nothing God could do. It would be eternal conscious torment. The sixth leg in my journey started 18 years later in 2009 the grace journey. Still on that journey. No more striving, no more trying, no more worrying. We learned that grace covered everything. I was, you know, I, I was, I couldn't get enough of it. Second baptism, the Holy Spirit speaking in tongues, all, you know, miracles, all kinds of stuff, realizing we weren't under the law. Nobody was. It was all grace, hyper grace. No more Moses or Elijah, only Jesus. 
as God the Father showed Peter, James, and John, now Jesus was working through us. We weren't working for him. He was working through us. Jesus is grace. Titus 2.11, Paul said, the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people. I started seeing verses about all people. I didn't yet see clearly, but I was seeing that God's even better than I thought. The next leg, I started seeing Christ in me, the hope of glory. Colossians 1.27, wow. I didn't have to keep begging God to show up. I didn't have to keep trying to get more Holy Spirit. I was as close to God as I could get, as close as the very air I was breathing. I learned the God of the universe actually lives in me. Well, that just totally blew my mind. God is even better than I thought. The next leg, I started learning God is love. And there's no fear. God is perfect love. And that perfect love cast out all fear because fear has to do with punishment. It reminded me of the great jazz band leader and composer, Duke Ellington, who finished every performance for over 50 years with saying, love you madly. This was even better than March madness. <laughs> it was every day. God's not mad at me. He's madly in love with me. Oh, man, what a wonderful place. What a wonderful place in the, my journey that was and still is. I started to see God's perfect love and I lost my fear of eternal conscious torment. God's even better than I thought. The next leg, I started seeing God as my father, perfect father, perfect love. God is really good. And Jesus is just like the father and the father is just like Jesus. And the Trinity, all three of them are together in a thing called perichoresis. I learned that God likes me and loves me and enjoys me and he's included me and we already have everything we need. It's like making it to the final four. It's like the timestamp that I love today. 11, 11, you know, on a digital clock. 11 colon 11. One plus one plus one. Father, Son, Jesus, Holy Spirit plus me equals one. One plus one plus one plus one equals one. God is even better than I thought. The next slave. I learned about ultimate reconciliation for all people. <laughs> all of these were huge, and that is so huge. No, there's no more in or out, no more separation for anybody. There's only oneness for everyone. What I'd been taught before, that you've never locked eyes with someone who God didn't die for, really started making sense to me. Everyone is included. It is finished. There is no hell as we had been taught in religion. God is even better than I thought. Now, some of these stages overlapped, of course, and they included no longer being chained to a flat religious reading of scripture, no longer seeing the written word of God, words written about God, no, no longer seeing that as the fourth member of the Trinity, rather seeing that those were words that were written by men about God and seeing what the Bible does say, that Jesus himself is the living word of God. Realizing that sin was never an issue with God, seeing that doctrines are all man-made and like the law are not for me anymore, seeing that I and everybody, we are all new creations. The old is gone. The new is here. We never had a sin nature. Adam's race is dead, done, finished, done away with. 
That's even better than the Final Four. It's like the national championship game and everybody wins. In heaven's eyes, there are no losers. We won. We got the trophy. And now we can lay it down at our best friend's feet. What are the odds of picking a perfect bracket in God's final dance, the big dance? One to one. A hundred percent. The next slide. Realizing of who we've always been since before the beginning of time, including all people. We were picked as the number one seed by God before the season ever started. Realizing I didn't have anything to do with all of this. I was created in Christ before God created the earth. I was saved, lavished with grace, given every spiritual gift there is, included in the family, one with God, with God, before the foundation of the world. I realized that when I came to earth, I was spirit slowed down to visibility. And like everybody else, I just simply forgot where I came from. And God is continuing the process of revealing to me and to everybody who God is, who they are, and who I am and who everybody else is. Knowing that when my earth suit wears out, when the season is over and we cut down the nets and I take my last human breath, it'll be just like walking from the living room to the dining room. I'll return to where I came from. Ephesians 1, 2 to 10. Paul said, grace to you and peace from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Man, just as he chose us before him, before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. In his love, he chose us to be adopted as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace with which he favored us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our wrongdoings, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us in all wisdom and insight. He made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he set forth in Jesus regarding his plan for the fullness of all times to bring all things together in Christ, things in heaven and things on the earth. And that was all done, finished before God ever created anything. (laughs) God is really even better than I thought. Number 12, realizing that what that meant really is that Adam's dark, false, angry, fictitious, religious God is a total lie. And unfortunately, organized religion is the perpetuator of that lie. God is even way better than we thought. Now, religious people aren't the problem or the enemy. It's the system. Realizing what religion via translators to a certain extent with a biased agenda have done to scripture, realizing how religion tends to cherry pick verses it wants to focus on and leaves out ones they don't want you to see or change the meaning. Like that first scripture that was hammered into me when I was in grade school, Ephesians 3, 23. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And I was taught that means you have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and you're going to hell and you're going to be tortured forever unless you do something about it. They never went on to teach the next verse. Of course, when the Bible was written, there weren't any verses. It's all one sentence here. The next part of the sentence says, the same all who miss the glory of God are all justified, made right with God freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. They just never taught that. I mean, that's a pretty serious thing to leave out in teaching, wouldn't you say? All are already made right with God. Man, when I got that, 
I realized God is way better than I ever thought. <laughs> the odds are perfect in my favor. The next part, changing my mind about virtually everything I was taught about religion, realizing what metanoia really meant. Didn't mean repent like I was taught. God is even better than I thought. I mean, realizing that the Trinity speaks to me, speaks to my heart, my spirit, not to my mind. Realizing in this part of the journey that I'm not trying to get things from my head to my heart. I'm trying to get things from my heart where God speaks to me, to my mind, where I think. The next part, seeing how quantum physics reveals a lot of the mystical things we knew from the Holy Spirit, but we just didn't understand them, but seeing now how they're true. Realizing things like quantum entanglement, a quantum leap, focused intention, the energy field, the matrix, how God's omnipresence is everywhere in everyone, and it is love, and it connects everyone. Realizing that what Paul said in Ephesians 4, 6 is absolutely true. There's one God and one Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. <laughs> Realizing how I can be in two places at one time, just like the Trinity. In the natural, I can be in the natural physical realm, the temporary fleeting world of my five senses, and also be in the spiritual realm, starting to see and hear in the spiritual realm the unseen things, starting to visualize things happening in the future and seeing them happen. Realizing what Ephesians 2 said that God raised us up and seated us in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. It's not something for the future. It's a done deal. It's already happened. God is even way better than I thought. Next, seeing God is pure light with no trace of darkness. It's absolutely nothing dark or bad or less than. Seeing the real definition of sin, which is simply missing the mark of understanding and believing that God is pure light and love and joy and peace and grace and goodness, and there's no darkness in God. First John 1, 5, God is pure light, and in him's not even the trace of darkness. Man, that almost puts the capper on God is even better than I thought, uh, except I keep on finding out he is better than I even thought when I got that. Seeing that God is indeed working out everything for the good, for me and for everybody. So I don't need to worry about elections, pandemics, the economy, finances. Romans 8, 28, God who loves all people is continually working all things for the good for everyone. God's even better than I thought. Now, currently, this is the most recent leg of my journey, realizing that not only is Jesus my best friend, but more importantly, Jesus, Papa, and Grace have chosen me and made me their best friend. This is not about me today, folks. All of these things are true for you. Jesus, Papa, and Grace have chosen you personally and made you their best friend. You can take that to the bank. John 15, 15 and 16, Jesus said, I've never called you servants. Because a master doesn't confide in his servants, and servants don't always understand what the master is doing. But I call you my most intimate and cherished friends, for I reveal to you everything I've heard from my father. You didn't choose me, but I chose you. Jesus, Papa, and the Holy Spirit, Grace, chose you to be their very best friend. I mean, what an amazing revelation. 
We are, you are their best friend. They like and endure and include you and enjoy you and love you so much. They want to be with you so much that they made their home in you. And you are together with them forever. Jesus prayed the night before he died to the Father. He said, Father, I want everybody to be with me where I am, where we are. Now, John, who recorded that, identified himself as the one whom Jesus loved, Jesus' best friend. Well, he wasn't the only one. John had just become awakened to the truth of who he had always been and always would be and who we all are and always will be. And in knowing that I am their best friend, I can really experience Christ living as me, no longer living for Christ, no longer Christ living through me, but Christ living as me. God is even way better than I thought. Now, that's the journey I've been on. Each time, I didn't see how God could be any better than what I'd seen in the leg before. But then the Holy Spirit of Christ, as he always does or she always does, reveals something else that blew my mind. How many more stages will there be? Ephesians 2, 5 to 7, Paul says, By grace, he's speaking to you, by grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come, the ages to come, he might show the boundless riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. We're going to continually find out every day, the rest of our life here on earth, and every moment in eternity, that God is even better than we thought the moment before. <laughs> now, some of you, as I mentioned before, are, are past me on this journey. Some of us are right together. There's no right or wrong or better than or in or out, nothing like that. We're just all on this journey. We're right where God wants us to be. We're right on time. And every day we're finding out he is better than we thought the day before. And you know what? We get to tell everybody else the same thing is true about them. Oh, man. And then we get to see the light come on with them. We get to see them going. That changes everything. And, of course, it does change everything. What a wonderful, amazing time we live in. All right. Thanks for being with me. Hey, I'll see you all next time. Grow in grace. Thank you for listening to Grace to All. For more about us, how we can serve you, and our special guest, please visit www.gracewithpaulgray.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so that you never miss an episode and to join our Facebook group, Grace to All, where you'll be inspired and awakened to more truth that you can handle.